Okay, we're here with Damon Chen. What's up, Damon? How's it going? Yo, yo. Good. What's up, guys? You are an indie hacker. You're the founder of a company called Testimonial. Um, and I think you have a super inspirational story. So you were like a developer at Cisco for eight years. You saw a lot of other people take lucrative jobs elsewhere. And uh, you eventually started interviewing at all the major tech companies, um, Amazon, Google, Facebook, all of them. Today, they're all just doing a bunch of layoffs. Uh, but at the time, they weren't. They were like hot shit. Uh, and they turned you down. But then you started building lots of apps. I think you built like five apps in 2020 alone, most of which generated $0. Uh, but you quit anyway and became an indie hacker. And you launched uh, Testimonial. And eventually, that made like, I think, $3,000 in the first 10 days. What's your revenue at today? Uh, the market recurring revenue is at 30K MRR. And uh, the annual recurring revenue is almost uh, approaching uh, half million dollars. Dang, that's that's crazy. So from working a corporate job, uh, making apps, aren't making any money to making almost half a million dollars on your own. Do you have any employees? Do you have a co-founder? How many people are working on testimonial with you, splitting that revenue? Well, actually, uh, two weeks ago, uh, I had my first employee who will be handling uh, the marketing and sales. All those kind of, you know, code outreach. Uh, running a paid ads campaign, doing some nice. social media uh, stuff, and I had a guy to complement my skill. Very cool. Let me let me just get, get some clarity. So you're at 30k MRR now, um, and you started these apps in 2020. So how long? Just testimonial. How long ago did you build testimonial? Like how long did it take you to rep, ramp that up to 30k? Testimonial. I launched testimonial December 2020. So it's almost uh, two years anniversary. Initially, I launched. Testimonial with uh, the lifetime deal, which you know a lot of uh, indie hackers use this kind of a strategy to just attract some initial users. And after I saw some initial traction from the lifetime deal, I saw a huge demand, uh, people asking for lifetime deals. Even I, you know, uh, shift my pricing model from lifetime deal to subscription model. People are still asking for lifetime deal, and I'm saying, no, sorry, the lifetime <laughs> is gone, and you gotta subscribe, pay pay me monthly or or annually. <laughs> So yeah, starting going uh, from there. So the lifetime deal campaign only lasted um, two weeks, and uh, after I earned five k, six k from twenty uh, lifetime customers, I just uh, stopped lifetime Turned deal off. and yeah. um, focused on the subscription and growing the you know recurring revenue from there. Nice. I see on your your Twitter you've got a little progress bar in your bio saying that. You're aiming for a million dollars in revenue <laughs> testimonial. Uh, I think one thing I notice a lot of indie hackers doing is thinking about these revenue milestones they want to hit for themselves. So maybe it's like, okay, once I make $100 and then my idea has legs, I'm going to keep working on it. And once I make a couple thousand dollars in a month, I can quit my job. And once I make $10,000 a month, I know I've made it, you know, uh, et cetera, et cetera. What milestones do you have for testimonial? And why did you pick that $1 million a year? milestone like what do you expect to happen when you hit that yeah if you check my twitter profile uh again and you will not be able to see the one million uh you know the progress bar anymore i just uh, took it off because the oh, one i see million... just goes to one dollar now <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 that's true because you know i used to have the one million a year ago for myself and uh i made myself made 40 uh, percent there towards the one million dollar goal and it's really fun to document my solo journey. And, uh, you know, all the effort is just by, by myself. But as I said two weeks ago, 
I had my first employee, so it's no longer my own effort. It's kind of like a, a team uh, joint effort. So I kind of removed the progress bar, but I still want to show some progress bar there. So as, uh, as you said, now the progress bar on the left side is just $0 and on the uh, you know, right side is $1. And uh, I think it just uh, says something like, I made it by making my first online dollar. And that's actually my biggest uh, milestone. And you know, always the first online dollar is the most difficult. And after the first dollar, I you know set my goal to next goal to uh, 100k ARR. That's actually the number that I promised to my wife before quitting my day job. I told my wife if I can't make 100k in a year, I'm gonna go back to find another job. So luckily, I, I made it. Now, made is it that within, the number that you uh, promised your wife, or is that the number that your wife demanded of you? Both myself and her had no choice because we live in the most expensive mm. area. I had to make some money. So uh, 100K is not even the average uh, software engineer salary in the Silicon Valley, but at least it's, it's not, not nothing. It's, it is something to prove, to give both her and uh, myself some confidence that you know this app could be a thing so that I can stick with it for the long term. So let me try to describe testimonial to the audience. Um, testimonial is a tool that allows your customers to collect testimonials from their customers. And it can be both texts and video testimonials. And then it gives them a copy, kind of a code snippet, that lets them display all of those testimonials on their website. So let's say I'm an indie hacker, I've got a business, I want a slick website. I want that website to be covered in testimonials from happy customers who all say they love my product. Or maybe if I'm just getting started, um, I'll get some fake testimonials from my friends and my family. It doesn't matter, I just want my thing to look cool. So that when my customers come, they think that you know people are using my product. But maybe I suck at asking for testimonials. Maybe I don't know how to code, so I don't know how to add the testimonials to my website. I see all these other websites that have these super slick video testimonials, and I'm not sure how to do that myself. They have tweet testimonials, they have other testimonials, and all these fancy things. That's where your product comes in. I go to testimonial.to, you make it easy. I just sign up, you give me all the stuff that I want, and you just make it easy for me to like collect testimonials and put them on my website. Is that an accurate description? Am I missing anything, leaving anything out? Yeah, you, you, you described it perfectly. Thanks. I probably can use it as one of the copy in my ads. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to sell it for you here. Uh, I think it's a great idea because pretty much every indie hacker wants it. There's almost no business that doesn't want testimonials. Everybody has a website. And so your market is humongous. You can sell to basically all of your people. You can sell to your audience. You can sell to your fellow indie hackers. You can sell to your peers. Mm -hmm. And if people are going to have testimonials, they're going to want to have good ones. So they might as well just come to you because you're like the expert. Also, it's like no industry. code is on the rise, right? So a lot of people don't have the technical competence yes. to like get this slick new right. you know, element of their UI in place. Mm -hmm. And I think testimonial also is um, valid for proposition is pretty straightforward. Like Corlin said, every business needs testimonials. So people just uh, get, people get it. And, um, you know, it somehow reminds me, you know, recently, if you guys on Twitter and, uh, you know, Peter Levels and uh, many other makers launched an AI-powered uh, tool to generate avatar. And uh, the, the tool is pretty simple idea. And I guess that Peter and others don't need to do too much marketing. People just uh, get it. And for testimonial, the same. It's just a tool that you can use to collect testimonials. It saves you effort managing your testimonials. And also, most of my customers are not really tech savvy. They are marketing folks and they can easily just uh, you know, uh, use it as a local tool to mm -hmm. 
plugin Tasmono as a widget on their website without uh, too much developer effort. Right. So let's talk about how you got started here because um, sort of alluded to it, you know, you were applying to all these tech jobs, but most people on earth are like, they're pretty happy just working their job. It's stable to work a job. It's easy to work a job. Uh, frankly, you generally make more money making working a job and trying to be an indie hacker. Uh, and being an indie hacker is challenging, right? It's risky. It's uncertain. Uh, you might spend years working on projects that make zero dollars. I know I did. What inspires you to become an indie hacker? Like, why not just stay working that job uh, at Cisco for the rest of your life? Didn't want to be an indie hacker, <laughs> just to be honest. I was kind of forced to become an indie hacker. Um, you know, I was a software engineer uh, in Silicon Valley. So, you know, like many other software engineers uh, here, uh, I was coming my career ladder. Like you said, I applied jobs for working for fan companies, the first year companies. That's the path that most of my friends and colleagues uh, followed. But things, things changed. In 2018, we had our first kid. And, you know, uh, changing my job desire became super strong. You know, I used to work for Cisco and it's definitely not the first year and the, the pay is definitely not the first year as well. I just wanted to get a better job with higher salary so that I, I can, you know, provide my family a better life. And I, I did spend many, many months preparing for the job interview. If you're familiar, I, I, I prepared the coding interview, doing the lead coding, you know, the, basically mm -hmm. those kind of, you know, coding puzzles. Uh, you just uh, you just told things didn't go well as I expected. Uh, I felt all interview from fan, and it's pretty devastating to my confidence. And to be honest, spending months on just preparing those coding puzzles is not a fun thing. It's pretty painful and boring process. It just make me think, what's the point, right? So even if I get a job, maybe the salary will be better, but uh, it won't be drastically different. It's still a nine to five job from a big corporation. So I decided to quit that route because I literally have no confidence in, <laughs> in acing a job interview. <laughs> and after that, the only choices left are either, you know, being a lifer at my current company or uh, make some money elsewhere. Because uh, I work for Cisco as my first job. I worked there uh, since 2012, uh, after I graduated from college. And it's been eight plus years and the things got boring. And uh, I literally, had no motivation to continue. <laughs> so the only thing left for me is to, you know, make some money elsewhere. Uh, so I started to do some moonlighting stuff. My goal is always to make more money mm -hmm. uh, for my family. And uh, I even tried being an Uber driver, you know, on my way to commute to work and, <laughs> and wow. off from work to, uh, you know, go back home and, you know, trying to be a part-time Uber driver and, you know, s start selling some stuff on eBay and being a <laughs> photographer. <laughs> I did make a uh, bit of money, but it's definitely not the same level as being a software engineer. And not to mention, it costs my time, right? Uh, I had to trade my time to make money from those part-time jobs. You know, it's definitely not not gonna work. But I was very lucky to find the indie hackers community during that time. And that totally opened up my mind that people can make some internet projects so that uh, to, to make a living. And I don't need to trade my time for money and I can basically work from home or even wherever I want whenever I want. So if you ask what inspired me to become an indie hacker, so the short answer would be indie hackers uh, inspired me to become an indie hacker. Very cool. I don't <laughs> think I've ever had anybody on the show before who's talked about becoming an Uber driver. And I, I think the other parts of it are like um, some of the stuff you talked about, like I could see myself in. I could see a lot of indie hackers basically being unemployable 
either because they don't want to work for the man or because they're struggling in interviews and they don't like being judged. Like I had that same thing in college where I was studying for coding interviews and it wasn't fun. I'm learning all these algorithms and I interview somewhere and they, you know, reject me. It doesn't feel good. And it's just like, fuck it. I'd rather work for myself. <laughs> I don't have to go through this crap. I could just build my own thing. I think a lot of indie hackers have that attitude, but like the uh, reaching out like to these different freelance jobs to fund yourself is really interesting. What was it like being an Uber driver? Was it lucrative enough that you could support yourself and sort of supplement your income like to the degree you wanted? Because I'm curious how it felt being like a software engineer and an Uber driver at the same time. For Uber, it's, it's just for the, the local mm-hmm. community. But I, I was kind of think that I'm browsing Craigslist and people will, you know, send a lot of requests saying, you know, uh, doing some carpooling from uh, San Francisco to Los Angeles. This kind of a, a mid to long distance carpooling and there's no such kind of app. And in my mind, I, I was thinking that oh, probably I, can, I could build an app for the mid to long distance uh, carpooling. Mm. And uh, being an Uber driver is kind of like an experience that I just want to experience uh, how, how to request a Uber drive. And uh, if I'm a Uber driver and what that experience looks like. And I actually spent uh, several weekends being a Uber, full-time Uber driver. And uh, I made something like $200 to $300 just by driving Uber for eight hours. I would say compared to the minimum pay in California, and that's still above the minimum pay. And I think that driving Uber while I'm commuting to work, I'm not wasting too much time. While I can make a more you know, side income that will have our first kit, and I can make you know, some extra money to support my family. So that's, that's another reason. I'm curious. I mean, I know that you worked on multiple products that didn't work out before testimonial. And a common challenge that founders run into is they invest a lot of time in projects and they get emotionally attached to them. And then it becomes really hard to pull the plug when things uh, clearly aren't working out. In fact, there's like an official term in psychology for this phenomenon, right? They call it the sunk cost fallacy where you just invest emotionally and then it's like this cost that you just feel invested in and you don't pull out. So like, is that something that you struggled with? Because I know that you eventually moved on from those. Yeah, for sure. I I, I did struggle with those... um existing projects and uh, actually for the first project that I built the Lonely Dev uh, to someone who didn't know Lonely Dev is a, a community where makers around the world can just post a short video about what they're up to and uh, you know it just give people more personal feeling when connecting with other makers as everything is in the video but uh, it's a community it is still far far away from being successful I don't have to put a ton of effort into injecting new fuels to make the community active. You know, uh, it's damn hard. You guys run community and uh, you must know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Lonely Dev was still active by the time I launched Testimonial. But uh, after Testimonial took off, I had to shift all my you know, focus from the community to my SaaS. One good thing is that, you know, I can reconnect with my you know, community members to Twitter. So we, we never lose touch. And after all the, you know, this kind of uh, communication migrated from Lonely Dev to Twitter, the community thing gradually faded away. It's just you know gradually less and less active. And uh, for other projects, uh, it's relatively easy for me to just to get out. You know, if it is not money making, I lose my motivation or I get burned out. I just want to move on. You know, normally within a few weeks, I just will get a sense whether it's a good product or not. I think the other hard part for a lot of people is coming up with the initial idea which obviously you solved that problem. Testimony was making more than $30,000 a month, so it was a good idea. How did you come up with that idea? I love to, you know, just bury myself into mm-hmm. coding and this kind of stuff, but my 
marketing SEO really sucks. I just uh, wanted to find a solution to solve my marketing weakness. And uh-huh. as an engineer, as a, you know, we always love to find some life hacks. And obvious to me to convince people to buy my product, the shortcut is to just throw some testimonials on my website. And like I said, I built Lonely Dev, which is a video-focused community. So a quick idea that popped into my mind is to add video testimonials to the stuff. And um, I feel that if it is a pain point for me, I guess it's also a pain point uh, for many others. You know, also the value proposition like is pretty straightforward. So I'm like, you know, let me just build an MVP and test it out. And what does that testing process like look like? Because you build the MVP and then, you know, it might not actually work. You haven't quite validated it. And you mentioned that you're the kind of guy where it's easy for you to move on. So if it doesn't make money quickly, you're, you're going to move on, right? So you've got some sort of process, I presume, to figure out like, okay, is this going to work? How did you validate that MVP? I actually never validated the idea of the MVP from anywhere else. Uh, I just thought it's a problem of mine. And, and not to mention, I can quickly build the MVP by using some existing code from my previous projects. So why not wasting time on the validation? And to me, the ultimate validation uh, is whether people uh, will buy it or not. Uh, if I can run some pre-sale campaign to buy this, that, 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 that's totally fine. But if I'm asking the feedback from just from this kind of a service level, I, I'm going to probably waste a lot of time yeah. and probably even distracted by the people uh, because people tend to be really nice. People will say, um, great idea, just uh, go for it. Even nice people will say, oh, uh, they will buy it. But those, the, those kind of feedback is you know, bullshit to me. I definitely appreciate their kindness, but uh, you know, the, those kind of surface level feedback uh, validation, uh, I don't think it really helps. You mentioned earlier, actually, when we were talking about validation, you mentioned that you did your lifetime plan and you had like a lot of interest. Was that right around when you launched or was that like later? Because I mean, if you if you have a lifetime plan and a lot of people sign up and then, you know, th- there's such an influx that you feel like, oh, crap, I got to turn this off and just move to subscription. Like that seems like it might be good de facto validation, right? Yeah, that's kind of like a validation for sure. Yes. I think that's the best. Val- like the best validation is you put a product down to the world and people use it <laughs> or they don't use it. Right. And you talk about why. And I've, I've yeah. seen so many people who go through this grueling process of like calling up hundreds of customers and interviewing them and trying to find out all the right perfect information about whether they will or won't buy. And it takes them six months and they're doing everything by the book. And then they think they have a good plan and then they launch their product and get smacked in the face. And none of the stuff they learned is true and none of it works. So I like your approach. Just build it, get it out the door, get it in the real people's hands as quickly as possible. That's all the validation. Uh, I think I need. saw this um, tweet by Sahil and he said, it's not that you learn and then you do. It's that you do and then you learn. And it seems like you have kind of that, that sure. approach. But okay, what if you do and then what you learn is that it doesn't work? So, I mean, you already had like a few products that didn't work out. Like, did you have a backup plan here if Testimonial didn't have all those lifetime signups? Like, what would you have done if Testimonial hadn't paid the bills? <laughs> I actually don't have any uh, backup plan. Maybe the only backup, maybe my working wife, which... I prepared for many, many years. <laughs> and she paid uh, our bills and mortgage in the first one and a half years. And yeah, I really, you know, appreciate her support um, mentally, you know, financially, everything. I, I wish my wife, I will forward the, the, the episode to my wife so that she can, she can listen. <laughs> <as well. laughs> yeah. It's the biggest yeah. indie hacker hack is get married to someone who's going to pay the bills <laughs> while you mess around tinkering with apps. Yeah. And we also have some decent savings from, you know, uh, years of our engineering job in the Bay Area. 
So things won't be that bad. Like we can't pay our bills. I wouldn't, you know, see this kind of thing happen in the next a year or two. Also, by the time that I quit my job, I basically time boxed everything. If within a year things won't work, I go back to find another job. And、um, you know, if you are asking the backup plan, that's one of my backup plan. So at this point, you've got the MVP built. You launch it. I think this is also like the other hard part for the vast majority of indie hackers. It's how do you find your first customers?、Um, you clearly had this cool audience that you had built because you built Lonely Dev. It was a small community, so they kind of knew what you were up to. You had your Twitter account, which at that time I think was pretty small. I don't think you had thousands of followers at that point. Building is hard, but like finding these first customers is even harder. How did you get your first paying customers? Let's walk us through that process step by step, because I think a lot of people struggle with how to get this to work, even if they do build a good product. Yeah, I think I kind of set a good foundation with those connections from my early community, Lonely Dev. We just basically support each other no matter what we do, and、uh, you know, if someone has a hard time, you know, we're gonna. Provide our、uh, help.、Uh, if someone wants to promote something, we kind of no brainer for us to just、uh, you know do retweet and like on each other's tweet. So yeah, in the early days, it's basically you know building public from those few hundred followers. But those followers, you know, the the, the number is small, but we are pretty engaging. Someone said you only need a thousand true fans to start、yeah. every everything. So I would say you know my initial few hundred followers, friends are. Pretty super valuable for me in in the early days, and I also share my updates on Indie Hackers. And for the launch,、uh, I used the lifetime deal strategy. I announced it on my Twitter and launched it on Product Hunt, and、I、even got someone to share the, the deal in some private Martech groups on Facebook that I didn't expect.、Uh, you know,、uh, I didn't plan to launch anything on private groups on Facebook. That's probably another really valuable customer acquisition channel. Yeah, all these channels give me. You know, twenty plus early adopters, and after that, they just、uh, you know collect feedbacks from initial customers. You know, use this kind of、uh, flywheel marketing strategy. The more features that I added to、uh, the product, the more stuff that I can you know tweet on, on on Twitter. So that brought me more exposures to more potential customers, and、uh, things started growing like a snowball from there. I love it. So you're you're on Product Hunt, you're on Twitter. Uh, your customers are sharing. Everything is going well. I think a lot of people have this this like grand plan for their launch, right? Where they're sure it's going to go well, and they have you know A B C D E F. They're going to check all these boxes, do all these things, and it's going to go well. You clearly had some sort of a plan. Was there anything in your plan that didn't work out? Was there anything in like your sort of launch plan that didn't go how you expected, or was it just all perfect? I remember that you know when I launched on Protohan, Brian Hoover、uh, asked me a question.、Uh, Why? Why not go with、uh, the the subscription plan? And by then, I was kind of you know naive and stupid. I just re- replied Ryan that you know I don't think you know subscription model、uh, <laughs> will work, and I'm gonna just gonna stick with、uh, the lifetime deal and you know the usage based pricing model. But that's definitely something that I am planned、uh, to go the、uh, subscription model. And、uh, you know I thought that、uh, the lifetime deal maybe just to Uh, enough, and、uh, you know, I, I'm not. I, I'm not even expecting people to buy for the lifetime deal. And I thought, you know, maybe like my previous projects that never make any money for testimonial, maybe nobody will buy it. Lifetime deal. If people buy it, that's like、uh, you know, that's like a dream. But in the end, people buy buy lifetime deal, and the demand is、uh, extremely high. 
And, uh, and I go back to check those uh, product comments and I, and I revisit uh, the Ryan Hoover's uh, comments. And uh, I kind of think that, hmm, maybe Ryan made a good point and I should, uh, I should uh, give subscription yeah. a shot. And uh, so yeah, it's changing to, to a subscription uh, model. It's definitely something not on my checklist, and uh, I'm lucky that I make uh, I made the change. Yeah, I'm reading his comment right now. It's it's pretty crazy to see. This is what's good about building in public and launching and getting stuff out because it's like you will get really intelligent, talented people who will then see what you're doing and offer suggestions. And if you never like launched this on Product Hunt, then Ryan Hoover never would have seen it, and he never would have made a comment with a suggestion for the subscription fees, and you maybe never would have charged subscription fees, and maybe testimonial wouldn't be where it is today. So, I mean, that was that was the launch. And so you had to do little pivoty things in your launch. You went from the lifetime to the subscription. What about since then? You've been growing for another you know year and a half or more since then. I know you're really active on Twitter, and you mentioned that you've got like a flywheel. So how does... Do you have a growth strategy? What has worked? What hasn't yeah. worked? Yeah, I want to hear about this flywheel. I love marketing flywheels. Yeah, the marketing strategy, I would say, is pretty simple. Two weeks ago, I hired my first employee. But before that, I did everything just by myself. And I tried to leverage, uh, you know, try to maximize my effort as much as possible. So I pretty much just use uh, social media to build the word of mouth. That's a more scalable approach to me. And uh, it worked pretty well. And also, I use a lot of product-led growth strategy for testimonial. User can always start with uh, uh, you know, the premium plan from which they don't need to pay anything. They can just uh, start collecting testimonies right away. But premium plan always comes up with some uh, limitations. And if they collect more testimonials, uh, they're going to hit a paywall that you know, prompt them to upgrade so that they can access more uh, additional testimonials. And uh, yeah, I just love this kind of a growth hacks. And another growth hack definitely work is I will put the testimonial logo inside the embedding widget for those users who are still in the free plan. And uh, you know, some users who don't like our logo and prefer a white label solution, they normally will choose to upgrade to a pay plan. And for things that didn't work, I would say maybe uh, code outreach. I wouldn't say that it's not 100% not, not work, but it might work if I send more code emails. And in the end, it's just uh, the volume again. And for me, by then, I was just a solo founder and uh, doing the code outreach took me a lot of time. And I have to build a sequence to start sending the code emails, follow up with them and set up the demo calls. And, mm-hmm. uh, and the return from it just couldn't really justify my effort. I-, I would say, you know, doing the code outreach didn't work really well for me. I- so that's why I prefer to stick with my uh, you know, product-led growth strategy. How much of your growth is like product-led growth where people are, you know, seeing the product and then it sort of advertises itself versus Twitter? Because you've grown from like a few hundred followers in the early days to over 40,000 followers now. And it seems like the sort of building in public, tweeting a lot thing goes hand in hand with your growth. I would say initially nearly 80% or 90% customers are from Twitter because I'm pretty all in uh, social media and, uh, you know, I didn't focus on any other uh, acquisition channels. But one good thing is that the wave will rise all mm-hmm. other boats. So so if you go to Twitter and just search uh, testimonial, and uh, you probably see that testimonial rank really high on Twitter. And also it just affects the word of mouth and, and some organic traffic uh, from, uh, from Google. So if I check 
the customer acquisition channel nowadays and uh, you know Twitter is no longer the top acquisition channel and the top one is from the SEO from the Google that's the thing that I'm pretty proud of I'm still super curious about Twitter though because like even in the beginning the fact that it was like 80 or 90% of your customers is amazing and I think most indie hackers when they try to grow on social media they'll send out like one or two tweets you know maybe five or six it won't work well they won't catch fire they won't go viral they won't see any returns and they'll just stop. For whatever reason, like you kept going and you kept tweeting and you got tons of customers from Twitter and now you get you know, customers from a different source. But like, what's your advice for somebody who's trying to make Twitter work? What kinds of things can they tweet about? How do they keep going when it's not working? And why do you think Twitter worked for you so well in the early days? Yeah, in the early days, um, I kind of still really engaged with my uh, Lonely Dev community members. The, the, the beautiful part of Lonely Dev is it, accidentally pushed me to build in public because I'm the maker of my community and I have to be super active. Like you, Cortland, Jenny, you have to be super active on Indie Hackers. And, uh, you know, if, if you don't be the driver and nobody would take the drive. And uh, after testimonial uh, took off and I shifted my, all my focus from Lonely Dev to Twitter, uh, I still got my community members' uh, support. And for... Testimonial. Actually, another uh, strategy that I use is just uh, I just uh, give away uh, the access to my friends from uh, Lonely Dev. Uh, let them give it a try for free. I, I don't I don't charge them anything, and they can start collecting testimonials and uh, embed the testimonials onto their website. So that kind of you know contributes quite a lot for the initial uh, word of mouth because they will tweet, "Hey, I use this kind of." Uh, testimonial tool to collect testimonials and here yeah. is here is how I put it on my website. So by now you're like an expert in testimonials, uh, an industry expert so to speak. What have you learned <laughs> about testimonials that other people might not know? For example, like what makes for a good versus a bad testimonial or where should testimonials go on people's websites, these kinds of things. Uh, what do you know about testimonials that other people should should know? I think good testimony is always um, personalized and uh, tells its own story. People share their own stories, and if I am a potential customer, and those unique stories might resonate with me. You know, unlike some bad ones, if it's just saying, "Oh, great product, great service, five star," I would say, you know, if you build a product and uh, if you have one factors. That really stands out. Uh, the factors can be, you know, if the product is really good or you provide great service or support. Um, if you can offer all of them, and it probably can have many, many uh, happy customers. Uh, for me, you know, I like to ask my customers for testimonial if I ship anything that they desperately want. And, uh, you know, that's my strategy to collect testimonials. And I know that they, they are super happy. Uh, at that moment, and uh, you know, it would be highly possible that I get a, a shout out from them. Yeah, that makes sense. I like the idea of testimonials telling a story that audiences can relate to. Because people ask me for testimonials sometimes that will go on their websites, and I have no idea what to say. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, it was great. I enjoyed using it. That's not a good testimony. But it's much better if I'm like, oh, you know, I was my website was on fire, and I couldn't, you know, I couldn't, you know, keep it up. And then I started using Render. Now it's so much easier than using AWS or something oh, like that. Like, yeah, yeah that's that a good one. Helps. Yeah. yeah. Like my testimony was on the front page of Render.com, or at least it used to be. And what's kind of funny about it is as a result of having my testimonial there, I get a lot of um, researchers who email me and say, oh, hey, we're trying to research 
you know, this particular industry. We see you have a testimonial on this website. Uh, you seem like an expert. Why don't we, you know, interview you? And like sometimes mm -hmm. they will literally pay five hundred to a thousand dollars, like a, a hour long call, just to mm -hmm. interview you because they put a testimonial on somebody's site. So I think that's one reason to give testimonials too, is because you kind of appear on people's radar and they they want to come and talk to you. That leads to something that might be kind of a an issue of availability bias on my part because I just see founders constantly posting about their ideas on Indie Hackers, but. One type of product that I've seen a lot of, and Damon, you've probably seen a lot of it too, is like there are a lot of other testimonial products. Like that seems to be like the hot thing. Like maybe they see you on Twitter or who knows what their inspiration is. But like, how do you feel about competition? Like, do you feel like, you know, you got to keep your secrets hidden behind the curtain or, or do you feel like, you know, the more the better? How do you, how do you kind of like approach the, the competitor's landscape? You know, uh, I'm a human being and, uh, you know, sometimes that, you know, my Twitter friends just DM me, oh, found a very similar product like uh, Testimonial and, oh, and some, or even some uh, coffee cats just are trying to rip off uh, Testimonial and, um, you know, uh, I'm a human being and uh, I won't feel happy just to be honest uh, in the beginning, but I try not to focus too much on competitors. In the end, I'm not trying to uh, provide service to them. Uh, what I'm providing service uh, to is is my own customer. My goal is always to get my customers' uh, feedback and then injecting their feedback into my product. And that's the thing that I try to focus myself on. If I focus too much on the competitors, uh, my mentor is not healthy and uh, that's not some good feeling. And um, yeah, up until now, I still do uh, several demo calls and uh, I'm also in the front line with doing the customer support. So I know what they really want. And I think my job uh, is to turn my customer's feedback into uh, the product. I would say, you know, some, some customer feedback is pretty uh, valuable and, uh, and they do have the potential to open a lot of uh, new opportunities for us. I would say that's kind of like our competitive advantage. And in the end, it all comes down to the feedback loop, whether or not we can take our customer's feedback and turn it into the product in a way that they like. And uh, yeah, I would say that the, the whole market is not like um, uh, social media. If, if it's not definitely not something that, you know, one winner takes all. And in the end, we also have our own customers. And um, I'm happy that social proof, this kind of, you know, niche uh, vertical is growing nowadays. Uh, it's, it's still new. And something, uh, sometimes I think that, you know, our competitors and we all together help increase the total addressable market. And, <laughs> and if, if I think that way, and I think that's kind of like a bonus. Right, yeah, in a way, like their advertising is, is sort of increasing general awareness that testimonials are a thing, yeah. and then people might, you know, sort of window shop and, and find you because of your competitors. I have a, another question that's related to that about the industry, which is that I think one of the challenges for a lot of indie hackers, especially programmers, is that it's easy to believe like, oh, I don't want to build this simple tool because people could just build it themselves. Um, so if somebody's making a to-do list app, they might just say, oh, you know, my number one competitor isn't other to-do list apps. It's, it's people writing down their, you know, their to-dos on a sticky note. Um, for a testimonial app, your number one competitor isn't other testimonial apps. It's people just rigging up their own testimonials on their website without using you. And I think that can discourage people from building ideas. But then I look at what you're doing. You're making over 30 grand a month. And look at your pricing page. And it's like 50 bucks a month, 150 bucks a month, $300 a month for your pricing tiers. Like these are like not small price points. They're really big. And that's probably part of why you're making so much money. Um, 
why do you think people are willing to pay so much money? I mean, it's very counterintuitive that people will pay for this kind of thing. And I, and I like talking about pricing decisions because I think it helps other indie hackers gain the confidence to charge more for what they're doing and realize the value and what they're building. I'm kind of afraid to, to offer those uh, pricing, different pricing <laughs> tiers. And that's why I only offered a lifetime deal when the product was just launched. After I saw the high demand for the lifetime deal, I wanted to try the subscription model which I think is more uh, sustainable for me because, you know, testimonial is uh, a lot of cost comes from uh, the video stuff and hosting video is, is a very costly uh, infrastructure. And uh, I was scared by making uh, this kind of, a, you know, pricing model shift. And I would say the only way to overcome the fear is just to give a little more time. You know, when you will see new customers pay for the new pricing in a few days. And in the end, if, if I see the revenue growth isn't changed or even gets better, but by that time, I will know that I made uh, the right decision. And also, I believe that if I keep adding new features and the product will become more valuable, and there's no reason that I just, uh, you know, devalue my product, I should charge more. Yeah, I think that's one of the cool things about charging more is it's almost like the self-fulfilling prophecy. Like if you charge... $5 a month or something tiny, you're never going to find like those customers who are willing to pay more because they're not even going to consider your thing. They're looking for heavy duty things. If you charge, you know, 150 bucks a month for your thing, then you're going to find customers who essentially are like, okay, you know, I might pay this, but I really need this feature. I really need this work, right? And you start finding different customers and attending to their needs. And suddenly it's like, you know, you've sort of made it true that you know who's willing to pay all this money and what they need. And you start building for them instead of building for the people who are only going to pay $5 a month. And those people are way more lucrative because, you know, they're worth 30 people who are paying five bucks a month. And so it's cool to see you've got like these bigger customers who have huge budgets at big companies. And I think it would have been probably hard for you to find them if you didn't do the scary thing <laughs> and charge yeah. a lot of money. True. So true. Something that I can strongly relate to about this life as an indie hacker is that like, you're not surrounded by a bunch of uh, coworkers. You're, you're not, you know, you're not, you don't have this like cultural constraint that has you socialized constantly, right? You're like, it's a very, it can be a very lonely way to work. Number one, do you feel that personally? I mean, you've got a wife and kids, so maybe I can't relate because I'm a single dude, but like, do you feel that? And, and if you <laughs> do, like, is there anything that you do to kind of alleviate that? Like, do you, do you find ways, do you go to meetups or any of that kind of thing? Yeah, for sure. I definitely feel lonely. So that's why I built the first project that I built is called Lonely Dev. And, uh, you know, I built it to solve my own loneliness problems. It is literally called Lonely Dev. <laughs> and you know what? The parent company uh, behind Testimonial is Lonely Dev Inc. that I just, uh, you know, registered uh, in Delaware and named it Lonely Dev Inc. So it's just a name it to just, uh, you know, memorize my starting point of my uh, sure. solo journey. So, yeah. Building Lonely Dev is just accidentally opened up a new world to me that I, I, I don't feel lonely anymore. And I, I know that many founders like me are doing our own stuff and trying to uh, make a living. And, um, you know, after I get to know some awesome friends from uh, my community, uh, maybe I just want to name a few here, like uh, Jing from Japan, Andre from Norway, and Brandon from the States. And, um, you know, we basically share our updates every single day and uh, I see their face and they, 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 they see my face. But by doing that, I never uh, feel lonely anymore. And I would say, you know, to many other uh, makers who are listening to this and, uh, you know, you got to find your uh, community, a community 
like Indian Hackers or any other you know, Discord channels. It doesn't have to be super big. You can keep it very small and intimate. You know, if you find that, you know, like me, and I bet you won't feel lonely anymore. I love that as sort of uh, advice to end the episode for other indie hackers. Find your community. It doesn't have to be big. Or in Damon's case, uh, build your own community. I love that. You build a community of people. You're like-minded people. There are other indie hackers. Uh, it takes care of the sort of loneliness working by yourself problem. You get great ideas from others. And then you have an audience to launch to once you come up with an even better idea. So I think that's brilliant advice. Damon Chen, thanks a ton for coming on the show. Uh, can you let listeners know where they can go to find out more about you and about Testimonial? You can check out testimonial.to or testimonial.io. And I, I bought several other you know, type of domains re- redirect to testimonial.to. And for me, if you want to follow my bootstrap journey, and you can check out my Twitter at D-A-M-E-N-G-C-H-E-N. Nice. All right. Sweet. Thanks so much, Damon.